My hope for the patients who come here is that they know that they're not forgotten, that somebody cared, that God cares enough to come here um, to provide care, to show them love and give them hope. Si de ou gen pou message ou ta remen bay ekip ki te sou pa pou yo, ki sa ta remen di yo, dokter yo. I don't have the word to express my thank you. Only God could tell them how I feel. Only God could tell them thanks. And I'm going to pray for them that God continue to bless them. Welcome to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, a podcast taking you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham. And in the early morning, Saturday, August 14th, a 7.2 magnitude earthquake rocked the southern coast of Haiti. It flattened homes, killed nearly 2,000 people, and many were buried under the rubble. And even if someone's home was still standing, they were terrified to go back inside it. So it left families faced with being in the streets and faced with the, the question of, do I risk sleeping underneath a roof that'll collapse or sleep in the elements outside? With poverty at an all-time high, the Haitian president being assassinated only weeks before, gang activity, violence skyrocketing, and COVID-19, the earthquake only intensified the suffering. And on Sunday, the day after the earthquake, Samaritan's Purse airlifted more than a dozen disaster response specialists and 31 tons of relief to the hurting country. Today, we want to dive deeper into our team and the story of Haiti. We're actively responding with a 36-bed emergency field hospital, shelter materials, and critical water filtration systems. So we got on the phone with Nick Beckard, who was our team lead there. And Nick had been responding, he had responded to the 2010 earthquake. So Nick knows a lot about Haiti, a lot about what they've felt and they're facing. And so he was able to give us the assessment and tell us what the team on the ground is doing. You're walking into an environment where everyone was desperate because of these challenges before the earthquake hit. And now they're without shelter and they have loved ones that have been injured. People here have been traumatized uh, by the destruction. Uh, so it, it makes it challenging. C'est on vit mieux, on vit qui mieux par rapport à gens vivants. Okay. He says that being that everything is collapsed is like one life miserable and one life is okay. So they're like in between, just trying to make it day by day. This area in Lakai, uh, we, Samaritan's Purse was distributing tarps in five years ago after Hurricane Matthew. Uh, so there's a, there was a hurricane that came through this, this area where everybody, uh, many, many people lost. This area even has, has been through uh, in, enormous, uh, enormous challenges. And, and it's, it, it makes it, for, for the people, uh, this consistent, why does this, why does this keep happening? Here, why, why, why do we keep getting these challenges? We had a lot of uh, questions, frustrations. Just this is just hard. Uh, the only way that you get up the next morning is after a challenging day, a challenging distribution, uh, something that was uh, went wrong politically, and you're trying to navigate the system. The only way to get up the next day and be able to, to go out again is if you're if you're operating off of Jesus' love. So, okay. So can you maybe give us, you, you know, we went in on the 15th with supplies and a, and a disaster assistance response team to assess. But now, as you mentioned, there's a hospital. Can you maybe just talk about what Samaritan's Purse is doing? Um, yeah. What, what are you guys doing on a day-to-day? Yeah. Day-to-day, we're involved in 
three main activities. So the, the, the first activity is the emergency field hospital. Oh, is it just the needle? Is she upset? No. She's okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, let me get a pillow. I'm gonna lift it up. That's this site that we're based now. That's where I'm, where I'm uh, doing talking to you from right now. So it's the hub of our activity. Uh, and it's uh, our, our, well, so, but yeah, the, at the emergency field hospital, the, the wounds, people that have uh, sustained an earthquake, uh, the crush wounds, and also the continuous trauma that just happens through everyday life. The only, when we arrived, only three of the 10 operating theaters in the Southern region were still working. Uh, and so being able to, not only are the, is there increased need, but there was lower capacity to be able to, to treat patients. Uh, and so we're, we're filling that gap and, and that's what we do. As we drove from out from the airport going to meet with the Ministry of Health, the devastation was obvious. There was crumpled buildings, uh, people in the street, houses that even if they weren't completely crumpled were leaning, had walls crumbling, and there were just people everywhere. That was Melanie Wubbs. She's the medical director of the emergency field hospital in Lakai, Haiti. And she was able to share with our podcast correspondent what she's witnessing and the level of devastation and how Samaritan's Purse is meeting the immediate health needs in the area. Uh, people at dig sites digging people out, people in the street. Um, and then we got to the general hospital. There was a lot of people outside. There were people on mattresses, um, on the ground with sheets to try to protect them from the rain. Um, just overall an air of desperation as people knew that they were hurt and this is where they could potentially get help. But it was obvious that the resources there were not enough to cope with the disaster that had just happened. As a nurse, what is that like for you to go to a hospital and see all of the patients outside under tarps or just laying under the shade of a tree? What was that like for you? Yeah, that's really hard because you know that these people have such great need and you know that that is the best place that might be able to offer that need. But just by seeing it like that, it's very evident that the the, the, the need out far outstrips the resources that are available and you know people are going to be in pain, people are going to be scared, people are going to not get the care that they need. How emotional it is to see people in need and worrying about are they going to get the health care. Um, walk us through like what happened next and how Samaritan's Purse stepped in. Yeah, I think as much as we could see that there was very obvious need, there was a need to kind of connect with those with connect with those who are already responding to find out what was being done uh, so we could step into a gap that was there. Um, so we had some meetings at a hospital, a meeting with the Ministry of Health, and the decision was made um, by that night that the OR capacity in the region, uh, which was less than halved by the earthquake, uh, was going to be a major gap with this increased need. Uh, the there was a requirement for increased in inpatient capacity as evidenced by all the patients that were outside uh, because of building damage because they were afraid to be in hospitals so the decision was made to bring down our surgical field hospital to be able to fill this critical need of orthopedic trauma surgery following the earthquake and provide inpatient capacity you guys worked late into the night every night to set it up what was it like after all of that for you to then see 
Okay, we can open the doors. We can have patients in here. It's an incredible relief to be able to open those doors. You work late into the night, every night, knowing that there's patients at a home, patients in pain, patients that need need the care that you're gonna improve that you're gonna provide um, and all you can do is to work hard to make it happen sooner. Um, you need to be sooner, but you need to be safe. There's critical pieces of a hospital that need to be in place before you can open that front door because you need to be adequately prepared for who walks through that front door. So it's this pressure of time, um, but also perfections to make sure that you're able to provide really high quality care uh, to the patients who come. What is your hope for the patients that come? My hope for the patients who come here is that they know that they're not forgotten, that somebody cared, that God cares enough to come here um, to provide care, to show them love, and give them hope. I think uh, this earthquake's rocked Haiti, and it's going to affect the lives of people long after the news cycle covers the earthquake. And if we can come here in this critical time, help provide uh, care that will spur healing, um, that'll mean a lot for them for their physical body, but if we can also just take time to listen, to pray with them, and to share with them the hope of Jesus, that will be everlasting. I'm just so thankful that God has put us in the right place to be able to, to receive those who are the most removed from help, um, those who have waited the longest for help, and uh, just to be able to offer them care and offer them physical help. We have uh, orthopedic surgeons, we have general surgeons, people that can provide them the care that they need to save their, their limbs and even their lives. But uh, most exciting is that we have a staff that, that loves Jesus, and so we can also offer them spiritual hope. Um, you know, people need physical healing, but most of all, they need a touch from their Savior. They need to know that there's there's a God who loves them and he hasn't abandoned them. You reference being able to provide that care for people in really rural communities. Talk about uh, how we've been able to do that. Uh, well, it's been really, really exciting over the last two days. We've been able to coordinate with other partners who are flying helicopters into the most hard to reach areas, villages and towns up in the mountains that no one has gotten to since the earthquake in over a week. And they're finding the patients, the people in most need of help, the people with those really um, bad fractures and wounds that need surgery, and they're able to fly them directly to our field hospital. Uh, it's just been amazing to see how God provided a site where these very talented helicopter pilots are able to, to land directly here at our field hospital. I mean, imagine having a broken hip and having to ride hours in a truck down a mountain and just how incredibly difficult that would be. Um, but instead, we're able to bring these patients directly to our hospital in one quick helicopter ride and get them the relief and the help that they need. Our disaster assistance response team cares deeply about both aspects, physical and spiritual. We want to respond quickly, but we also want to do that with compassion and excellence in all that we do. Earlier, you heard from Shannon, who's a DART member, and she was explaining how when we were looking for our location for our emergency field hospital, we didn't know that we needed helicopter capability, but God did. And we've been able to evacuate patients that otherwise wouldn't have been able to come because of road closures and other issues that we didn't know about prior to setting up. The, the other major activities that we're doing we're working in, in water and sanitation. The springs that have lot that, that were providing that sole source of water for these communities. Uh, it was a quality and quantity of water that were being provided. 
we brought in on, on that first flight on, on Sunday, we brought in two water systems that can treat community water and provide enough for a community of 10,000 people. We had the chance to hear from Brent, who is a global technical advisor for WASH, which stands for Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene. He and his team are working tirelessly on the ground to ensure there's safe drinking water for thousands of people in remote communities, and they all lost access to clean water. Driving through Manish, it's really, it, it's really quite uh, destroyed. It's, it's, so what happened, uh, that, that town gets its primary water supply from a spring on the mountains across the river, and so the earthquake uh, severed that uh, spring connection. And so they are left with uh, no water um, beyond just a few hand pumps that are in the town and a few, uh, some water trucking that's happening from Lakai, which is inadequate for what the, the town needs. This is the first time that we've deployed this particular type of water system. It's actually designed and built by Samaritan's Purse Wash Team. Most community water filtration units take up a lot of space. And this means that after a disaster, they're typically shipped on a barge to the area in need, which takes a lot of time. And time is valuable. And the incredible thing about this new water unit is that we're able to build it, fit it on our pallet, and position it on our cargo plane. And so now we can provide clean water to people in need faster than ever before. Justifié présence nous là et me remercier dans pile du sel nous venir résoudre problème de l'eau ça dans communauté à son gros bagage nous faire pour communauté. Nobody can find water to drink. I thank you guys because what you guys did today is a big thing that you did for because they didn't have the water now they have water to drink. You can hear the excitement as the community comes together at the clean water point. The system can provide clean water to 10,000 people a day. And as soon as it was up and running, it was busy. Word spread in the community and kids came carrying jerry cans and family were gathering around the tap stands to get something clean to drink. He said that you guys giving them courage by you guys coming and making them have a little more strength to go on. The, the third major, so we've got help, water, and then we have shelter. People are, are fearful to be living in, uh, living inside their homes, even if they're if they still have a home to be inside. They're afraid that it would collapse. So at night, people are sleeping outside. They need something to sleep under. The the first night that we spent in Lakai, tropical storm Grace blew over us, uh, and it there was rain, there was wind, and people were exposed to it. They're, they, they, it was, it was a, a choice between living in a home that an aftershock might collapse and crush your family or spending a, a miserable night out in a tropical storm taking uh, wind and, and rain and trying to protect your family through that as much as possible. So, so shelter is a key item as we are in storm season in the Caribbean. So being able to, to get tarps out to family uh, so that they can have a place to, to be sheltered in at night is, is the third, and that's, that's a really uh, key component of what we're doing here. So right now, uh, there's, a, there's a crowd at the gate, and we have um, yesterday given out a 1,000 tickets. We call them petit coupons. They're like little tickets from a carnival that you have in the U.S. And we've given out those tickets to the mayor and the pastors here, and they have identified the most vulnerable people in their communities. Everyone has trouble but they've identified the most vulnerable people. And so right now at the entryway, which is behind me, um, 
we're letting people in when they show that little blue ticket. They're passing around the building, which is the mayor's office. We're distributing it. We're telling them, God bless you. And they're going out another exit um, at the far end of the property. Okay, you can hear a lot of noise behind you of a distribution happening. Explain what we're giving out today, what that looks like. Yeah, today we're in the town of Manish, up in the mountains, about an hour north of the city of Lakai. And we're giving out a thousand tarps and a thousand solar lights to families. So we're working with the local authorities to distribute um, these kits. What's it like for you as the distribution manager to see it's happening? The supplies are getting into the hands of people who need it. I just say, gloire à Dieu, glory to God. Uh, that's French, which they speak here. Uh, and we are so thankful that the Lord has made this possible um, because it's a difficult context. And we are um, very happy to see it happening now. And I'm also thankful for the local authorities that have worked with us. So just, uh, just thankfulness and, uh, and optimism right now. Our team's working really hard to bring hope to Haiti. And everyone listening can be a part of this effort by praying for our team. After talking with Nick, I got a taste of the conditions. It's, it is difficult to imagine trying to do surgery in intense heat. And it just was helpful to me that when I'm tempted to complain about my trite situations at home, to turn it to prayer. And actually, this entire summer, our air conditioning unit's been out. And I know it sounds trivial, but when it gets hot um, and kids are complaining and, and fighting, I, I often complained. And the Lord brought me to Romans 12, 12. Early in the summer, it says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. And I'm not trying to compare my, my situation with Haiti. I know my affliction is not that great, but it was able to tune my heart and my, my complaints to prayer. Every time I'd get hot and, and want to complain that the air was stuffy, I would think of Haiti. I would think of living in a tent with no airflow, trying to do operations, uh, trying to, again, live that way in the streets with no hope no fans, no electricity to keep the air running. And so it just helped me turn my heart and my gaze towards the Lord and know that my situation will lift, but theirs might not for a long time. And so it just helps keep things into perspective. And so again, we can be praying all the time, but sometimes more specific is more helpful. So I asked Nick how we could pray specifically. You, you allow us to see how to pray, but how can you, can you give us some specific prayer points um, as you're on the ground? You know, how can we be persistent in prayer for your team, but also the Haitians? How can we be praying? As, as we continue to, to scale up and identify areas where we'll be working, uh, and, and as we engage with the church, that, that those, those relationships, that it would be the right ones, that God would connect us to the right pastors, the right churches. Uh, they would be encouraged. They would be built up uh, and able to get the supplies out to the people that are really, really in need here in Haiti. Uh, the, the team certainly be praying for for our doctors, and nurses, as uh, yeah, living in, in a challenging environment that they can be sustained uh, by God. That's that's how that's how they're going to be able to keep going. Is uh, God coming in, giving them energy and sustaining our team to to living uh, and interacting in a, in a challenging spot. Uh, be praying for the, uh, the chaplains that we've uh, worked in. There's there's already a, a local network of chaplains that we've been connecting and supporting through the churches that 
are engaging with community members, uh, engaging with family as, as family comes in, uh, as, and, and they have family that are coming into the hospital to receive care. Uh, our chaplains are, are able to, to share with loved ones, uh, the ministry of prayer, ministry of presence with them, um, so that that work is, is blessed and people are connected uh, to Jesus through it. Thanks so much for listening today. If you liked learning more about what it's like to be on the ground in Haiti or what our darts experience, please share this episode on social media and tag us. We'd love to hear your thoughts and prayers um, that you're praying for the Haitians along with us. For more information, you can always go to our website, SamaritansPurse.org. And if you want to hear more on Haiti and how we responded so quickly, we did an in-the-news Haiti earthquake. And so you can go back and listen to that, how we were able to respond so quickly. Thanks again for tuning in, but thank you so much for your prayers and your support. We appreciate you. God bless. God bless.